Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I have met not in real life, and not until this very second, in sort of real life, the most cool person who's involved with dogs. She, but I don't think I'm supposed to say she is her, Sassafras Lowry, what a name, Sassafras, wrote a piece in the New York Times called What We Can Learn from European Dog Culture. And I read it and I thought, this is so original, this thinking. And then I discovered that Sassafras has many hats that her wears. Oh, God, I don't know what to do about the she and the he thing, Sassafras. I got to get this right. I got to get my cultural competency right. You are just a very cool person. Thank you so much for having me. I, you have a wonderful website. Oh, my God. And who can forget Sassafras Lowry? That's pretty easy. You guys got to look it up. You're fabulous looking. You're non-binary. You are very active in the LGBTQ community, but particularly as a dog trainer. You're a certified dog trainer and even more specialized, a certified trick dog trainer, which is something that I think teaching dogs tricks is something that none of us knows enough about, the value of it to the dogs and their minds and our bond and all that. But you've also written a lot of LGBT, LGBTQ literature, many books. So which hat do you think is most you? 
<laughs> That's a great question. I, you know, I think I think both. I am so lucky and so privileged that I get to really live um, my passions full time, and I get to talk about the issues and the experiences that I find really fun and joyful. And that definitely includes dogs and dog training and also art and gender and sexuality. And um, it all comes together and it's really fun. Well, you, you make it fun and you look like the most fun person. I mean, you're just decked out with the coolest glasses and hair and jewelry and clothes. It's just great. I mean, I just wonderful to see such a person who you were a New Yorker, and now you live in Portland, Oregon, just joyful in exploring the world. Um, what we can learn from European dog culture, such a cool thought piece. It was an opinion piece, but it was full of really nuggets, I thought, really valuable, having lived most or half my life, I guess, in Europe, back and forth, back and forth, always with dogs in tow, crazy family that I came from, and then in my own adulthood, schlepping dogs from California to Italy, multiple times a year. Pretty nutty. But I certainly had a sense that, that there was something different. But what the way I was living was so different, it, I couldn't really compare it. But you have made some interesting comparisons. What do you see as being something we can learn from how Europeans interact with their dogs? Yeah, uh, it was such a fun article to write and, you know, to really dive into and think about. And I think one of the the big challenges that often comes up for dogs, um, and particularly dogs in the States, are some of the the way that we navigate our relationships with them and also the expectations we put on those dogs. And so by that, I mean, there is definitely a pet all the dogs culture. I mean, we've all seen the t-shirts and the bumper stickers, and I get it. Dogs are adorable. Um, but we don't necessarily give dogs personal space um, nice. or give them the ability to opt in and out of those engagements. And what that can do is it can create really stressful interactions for dogs. And it can also set dogs up to, you know, even our most social dogs, set them up to be really confused and sort of expect that every single person is going to want to engage with them as opposed to assuming that if a dog is out with their person doing their own thing, that they're, they're having a good day. You can, you know, walk on by. <laughs> Mind your own beeswax. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's one of the things. And then I think the, the, the other big thing that comes up a lot that is just the crisis of dog training in our country and in our culture. And by that, I mean, that, you know, dog training is an unregulated industry. And so anybody can say that they're a dog trainer, regardless of what experience they do or don't have. And unfortunately, what happens is that that can lead to a continuation of really outdated, really harmful, aversive training methods. And so instead of training using positive reinforcement, you know, which we know scientifically is the most effective way to train dogs, we have this very problematic American obsession with punishment and aversives. And, you know, we see it on TV shows and on social media. And so people are genuinely very confused about how to work with their dogs. And it ends up putting dogs in really unfortunate situations where they are confused and they're being, you know, shocked and, you know, um, collar pops and um, harmed in the name of training. So why do you think the Europeans are different? They're certainly not 
kinder towards other species, Europe being a large place with many different cultures, but in general, they are not wildly empathetic towards animals, certainly no more so than we are. Maybe we're overly empathetic. I don't know. But in this area of training and how a dog acts with their human out in public, do you actually think that Europeans have somehow made those dogs more stable and more we don't love this word obedient in public than American dogs because Europeans, depending on the country, again, so many different countries can be, if you want to compare dog training with child rearing, they can be pretty strict and pretty harsh, right? With how they raise their children. So, so do you think it's the, the training that's the difference or just a general social attitude of the owners? It's a great question, you know, and I, you know, I'm certainly not an expert on, you know, European culture. And, and to your point that, you know, European culture is, is sort of a misnomer and that there are so many cultures. Yeah. Right. You know, and so, I, you know, I certainly am not an expert and certainly could not speak for sort of the, the experience of, of living in Europe. You know, the, the article really was a jump, jumping off from, you know, what I experienced, um, you know, being on in Europe on book tour. Um, a couple of years before and what I saw and also talking to dog trainers and dog sports people, you know, I know who live, you know, around Europe. And I think there's a couple of factors at play. You know, one, I think that in general and you know, speaking in, you know, making, you know, sort of like sweeping statements right. here, dogs are very, you know, integrated into a lot of European cultures. Um, and they are welcome in a lot of places. And so dogs get a lot of early socialization by being able to go with their people to places and be sort of just part of that experience as opposed to it being a big thing. And I think that helps. But also we are seeing trends in a lot of countries around Europe um, of taking very clear stances around what isn't isn't acceptable as far as training, you know, to, you know, the, to outlawing the use of shock or yes. electronic collars, to outlawing the use of prong collars. So I think there is sort of a movement within a lot of European countries that we to follow a training methodology that we know is um, steering clear of aversives. That's a, that's a good point. And yes, in, in many countries, let's just say, let's just pick France and Italy, two places I've lived and been a lot with dogs and been around other people's dogs. They are welcome in many restaurants and cafes, but only if they're kind of curled up under the table, out of the way of the waiters, out of the way of other diners. And you're right that those dogs have been doing that since they were puppies and are quite chill about doing it. However, it's not like every table has those dogs or that everyone who has a dog takes them with them. They don't. Whereas I think in America, there's been, and certainly it seems somewhat worse since COVID, this idea of the so-called bogus emotional support animal. I just don't want to be separated from my dog. It makes me feel better. It's like a binky, you know, like your, your suck soother. That's not what a dog's supposed to be. They're not supposed to be your emotional support animal. They're supposed to be a pet who you share your life with. So people that want to take them everywhere, into the movies, into a restaurant, into an airplane, I am disturbed by because I think it's putting a terrible burden on the animals and on the other people in the environment. And the person probably needs some psychological help, but the dog isn't really there to be their shrink. My personal yeah, opinion, but, you know, there's there's some basis for that. You don't have to wear your dog in a backpack or on a sling every place you go. 
So I think we aren't that selective. And if you look at the way European children sit in a restaurant, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or a cafe, when I say Europe, pick any country, and certainly England as well, which isn't Europe, the children are well-behaved. They're not being forced to be behaved. They've just been raised to be out in public around adults, around other people, and mind their business and mind their manners. American children are, are the horror right, in Europe. They just are allowed to run free like wild things. Not every kid, but a lot of them. So I wonder if the dogs and the kids, there's some sort of similarity of allowing way too much freedom. And then in the case of the dogs, coming down really hard on them with choke collars and especially prong collars. You know, people speak ill of e-collars, electric collars, shock collars. For sure, prong collars are worse because you're digging these metal stabbing things into the dog's neck pretty I've seen them so tight that they're stabbing the dog the entire time that the collar is on and then more is when you pop the leashes as you trainers call it right I mean so we're kind of schizophrenic the dogs don't have enough training but then they have this harsh interaction with equipment yeah I mean I think that you know one of the things that that I really have tried to do you know is I think it's important to enjoy think about what your dog is going to enjoy as much as what you are going to enjoy when you go out together. Um, and, you know, you know, in terms of what you're talking about, I think that it's important to consider, am I going somewhere that's going, that's dog friendly for one, right? Because unless yes. a dog is, you know, unless you have a disability and you have a task trained service dog, there are going to be places that your dog can't go. Um, but if it's a dog friendly place, and I think we are excitedly seeing a lot more for sure. places becoming dog friendly but it's important to think about if it's going to be enjoyable for your dog and also be prepared to help make the experience fun and engaging and enjoyable for your dog and be prepared to head out early if it's, yes, if it's not working for your exactly dog that day. well said you said something really brilliant in the beginning about us not giving dogs enough agency and freedom and choice and space and room yes. to get away to back up, to back off, to not want to be forced into the middle of the cocktail party of life. And I think that's a lot of what happens in these situations, because all we know about European dog culture, we, whatever the capital we is, is what we see in public. So the ones out in public are the ones already accustomed to it and comfortable enough with it. The rest are home. They might be on a chain, they might be in a yard, they might be in an apartment, but they're not they're not being forced to be out in public because the dogs out in public are expected to sort of hold themselves in a certain way. So I think that a lot of the points you make are in the article are great. I'll put a a link to it. You're a wonderful writer and you connect a lot of thoughts in a way that's thought provoking, which is really great. Uh, Something that you said um, before we started talking or recording was you ref- when I talked about you being non-binary and you know what is the correct way for me to refer to it because I'm of the generation still on such a steep learning curve, and you mentioned doing queer work with dogs. Now, what is queer work with dogs? You work with people who are queer slash non-binary. Yeah, so you know I have a couple of different you know literary grids, one of which is connected to dog training and writing about dogs, and I also have this other uh, writing career where I've write LGBTQ literature and teach trainings on uh, cultural competency. And sometimes those works get to combine and that's super fun. So I've written articles for the American Kennel Club about, you know, sort of like LGBT 101 for dog people. No kidding. What is it? 
Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, sort of defining these terms so that we can all be more inclusive. If you're a dog trainer and you're teaching a class and not, you know, making assumptions about people's gender or pronouns. That's great. Setting and you know how to how to be more welcoming if you're a, a dog club or you're organizing a dog show and so I you know I'm I really love when those topics get to combine together you know later you know this year I'm teaching um, a workshop at the Association of Professional Dog Trainers National Conference in Kentucky about how to be welcoming and affirming to LGBTQ people for dog trainers who might not think about these topics at work necessarily. I think it is fabulous. And I salute you for that. And it was the the second reason besides your excellent article that I wanted to have you on as soon as I saw your website, I thought this person is pushing boundaries in such an inclusive, welcoming way. It's like, it's okay. Let me explain to you what's going on here in society. It's okay. If you don't understand it, just let me bring you along is sort of what it felt like to me. It's interesting about the AKC article because the dog breeding and showing world it has long been known to have a large. Can we say homosexual anymore? I don't know. Is that uh, allowed? N- yeah, n- not really. You can't um, say that. Okay, that's a, that's a non yeah. non PC yeah. word. A gay. I don't know if gay is allowed, but there are certainly yeah. Yeah. men and women who are gay. If that's if you can say that now about yep. male and female yep. people, people who identify as their sex at birth, but they prefer people of the same sex. So it's really interesting that you're helping in an industry that's been very inclusive of I don't think it's non-binary right non-binary is when you're neither one or the other you could be both or fluid or something right yeah yeah oh sassafras it's a complicated world out there and I love that you're helping unravel it for people and particularly people that love dogs because it's such a great bridge for people to see and understand and and uh, be present for each other wherever we stand, you know, start where we stand kind of thing. So I highly recommend that people check out Sassafras Lowry, spelled L-O-W-R-E-Y. She's a certified trick dog trainer and does most of it or all of it virtually, so in a multimedia kind of way. And there are reasons to teach your dog tricks besides that it's really good for them mentally and really fun for you two together as a bond. But there's also competitions and all kinds of things. And who knows, you could wind up on some frightening reality show on television showing off the incredible thing your dog can do, which I don't actually hope, but it's a possibility, an outside possibility that that, that Sassafras could get you there. Sassafras, thanks for all you're doing for people and dogs and keep up the good work. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. 
Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 